0: Good afternoon who 's that? That was a mistake. I understand. Good afternoon. Good afternoon okay turn with me in your copy of god 's word to Colossians chapter three. Today we will be dealing with only verses five through eleven, but I will read verses one through eleven for context one of the major things that people struggle with in this life that gets us in trouble is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Scripture warns us of how easy it is for us to forget God as we live out the circumstances within the Christian life. But we're also reminded of the consequences as well. In many cases, the reason why people sin against God in the world is because of forgetfulness, self-centered ways, and attitudes. As Christians, we're called to renounce every sinful behavior that is opposed to God. Certain things we are to be looking out for. And so throughout Scripture, time and time again, there are things we are reminded to put off because of the inconsistent nature with being a Christian. Then on the other hand, we're also reminded of the need to put on certain things in order that we might identify with Christ as having faith in him. And when we identify with Christ, we show our genuine devotion to God. We say to God that you are ours and we are yours. Today, we will consider some of these teachings from the scripture within Colossians to help us live out the life we've been called to live. So look with me at Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walk when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the living God. The green grass withers, the flower falls and fades, but the word of our God shall stand and last forever. Let us pray. Father God, how we thank you for your word. And now we pray that you would help us to glean from the truth of your word. To take principles for our lives that we might obey you and honor you. That we might live in a way that glorifies you. We pray, Lord, for the one who do not know you. That today would be the day of salvation. We pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. I have entitled today's message, Putting Off the Old Life of Sin, Putting on New Life in Christ. Putting off the old life of sin, putting on new life in Christ. Um, Consider this part one. We're going to come back and uh, finish this up in um, the coming um, verses. And so um, keep that in mind. I have uh, four points I want us to consider for the text. Point number one is personal purity. See that in verse 5 through 6. Point number two, take the initiative, verse 8. Point number three, put off the old self and sin, verse 9. And point number four, remember your new new identity, put on Christ. You can think of this as spiritual guidelines for dealing with past and present sin. Spiritual guidelines for dealing with past and present sins. Let's look at number one, personal purity, beginning in verse five. First of all, our personal purity begins from within. How do do you think Uh, We are to achieve this. You remember in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul gave gave us instructions on how we should live. And in doing so, we would begin the process of putting on the new man. Putting on the new man. In order for us to begin putting on the new man, we must remember the old one. We were a people captivated by sin. We have to be honest, we loved it. We loved every bit of sin. Our minds loved it. Our flesh loved it. We were even overpowered by sin. We were overcome by sin. We were slaves of sin. We enjoyed the pig pen. That's who we were. We had fell into the hands of our enemy. He was destroying us. Our minds and conscience was polluted. In Titus one fifteen it states, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. We were sinful through and through. In in summary, everything about us was corrupt. Now, we're not saying that we were totally evil. But we had enough corruption in us where we could not enter the kingdom of God. We were dead in trespasses, and in sin. That's who we were. We had no understanding of spiritual things, spiritual truth. We had no understanding of God's purposes. We had no understanding of God's word. We had no understanding of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were spiritually bankrupt. All we had was a limited human understanding that was corrupt corrupted by the fall of mankind we didn't know how to live because we were dead sin had taken over everything We were as a person, our whole being had been so corrupt that our desires, attitudes, and actions were governed by the darkness that we loved so much. At the end of the day, man will either make himself a little God, or he will commit to the one true God who is sovereign over all. That's what's happening with all of us here today. We are either living our lives, using our members to sin as instruments to to commit sinful evil deeds, or we're living unto the Lord as instruments of righteousness for the glory of God. No one have two masters. We are either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. But everyone is a slave. Everyone knows which one they are by the one they recognize as Lord. Well, thank God that we're born again by the blood of Christ who are, who, which means we are no longer under the curse and enslaved to sin and death. Thank God that we're born again and made new. Thank God that we have died to sin and is now raised to newness of life in Christ. Thank God. Thank God that as believers we can continue putting off the old man and putting on the new. So how should we continue this process of putting off the old man in order that we might begin putting on the new man? We read it in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. We must seek the things that are above where Christ is, Then we must set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Paul begins, uh, he begins in this way, and then he's now adding to this. This thought is developed further by Paul in verse five, when he states, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In other words, let the old man who has died already to sin remain dead, right? Let him him remain dead. And so in the practice of putting on the new man, we must continue in killing the old man. And we do that, By knowing the truth of God's word. Let the old self be dead as it truly is. Listen to Romans 6 verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, change your thinking. Know who you are. We're to know who we are in Christ. The text says that we must consider ourselves as dead to sin. We went from death to life. Our sins were buried with Christ. So we have put to death our earthly members when we died with Christ through baptism. Baptism is an expression of who we are in Christ. We're buried with him in baptism, and we're raised up to newness of life. And so we're to continue in that vein. Listen to these two passages, and you can turn there if you want. It's just a couple of chapters. It's one chapter up in Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to look at Romans 6. Listen now to what it says in Colossians 2, beginning at verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. How? By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Then in Romans 6, verse 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In all of that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So... We are expected to live a certain way. We can't come to Christ and continue in sin. Doing our own thing. We're called. So since we are the risen ones. Since we are the risen ones. We are to walk in newness of life. We need to do that which pleases God. How do we know this? We know this because Paul states it in a different way in Romans 6. And just a few verses down, listen to the command given to Christians in Romans 6.13. The apostle Paul states, do not present your members to sin. As instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments of righteousness. With the risen ones. In Colossians 3 and 5, there's a, a list uh, that were um, that, that, that obligated us to put to death. Listen again to verse, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So as you think about this, we've all had to deal with at least one of these sins, if not all of them. But as we think through this, notice how the net starts small. And then as we read through the text, the net gets bigger and bigger and bigger, where eventually it's going to catch us all. So let's, let's look at the text there. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Um, so there are, there are four points in reference, uh, point, four points of reference that Paul is Wanting to address with his listeners, first, sexual immorality. From the original text, this word is derived from the word porno This is where we get the word pornographic, which means that we must put to death every kind of immoral sexual behavior which is contrary to the law of God. Christians have no business being in any forbidden relationships. We must put those things to death. Sex is a blessing when used rightly in the right relationships. But when it's not, it can be a stumbling block to all who misuses it for selfish reasons. Secondly, the net widens a little bit to impurity. Some of you might have already stated, well, I don't don't have those problems as it relates to sexual immorality. Consider this one. This this element has more to do with moral uncleanness. To say it another way, it's equivalent to saying that a person is dirty. And we've said that before. That's just dirty. That's, That's not right. We're expressing that that's not right. And so here it it points or infers this very same thing. There are filthy humans that are acting in ways that dishonor God. It's what they're doing that makes them impure and immoral. The point which, this point here, which also could mean idolatry, self-deception, sinful motivations and imaginations, speech, uh, an unwillingness to obey God in every respect, that's a form of impurity. Those are the kinds of things that makes one impure. These are the kinds of sins that are more subtle, if you would oh, it ain't that bad, right? But God don't want none of it, right? He don't want anything that's relative to sin, that has to do anything with sin. And so we must identify with Christ in the same kind of ways. And so these are the kinds of things that are subtle, which means that they could be more dangerous because they kind of creep in, if you would, in stealth mode, as if it's not that bad. And so we're to be careful of anything that might destroy our testimony. As we have the opportunity to share the gospel, if you're at work and you're stealing pens and paper from the company, right, and say thanks, They got money. It's not going to hurt them. Who knows? Right. And someone sees you doing that. You're you're killing your testimony. You're darkening your light. Scripture says you want to be on the hill so that everyone could see. We don't want to mismanage that. And so we're called to be pure. We're called to be set aside for the glory of God. And so, therefore, this shows why we need to put the deeds of evil to death. When we say put to death, we mean to stop it completely. Don't continue it at all. And then thirdly, it widens a little more to passions. This is a more broader characteristic. Paul then describes the next element to put to death. This word is... uh, Pythos, in the original, it means lustful passions. It is a strong, intense desire. It's a feeling or emotion. Now, this can mean a sexual desire, but not necessarily. It could mean, as some people would say today, I wanted that so bad that it hurts. As you can see, the net have widened again and then the fourth the fourth point in this section the net widens once more time again to evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry Th- this means that a person wants something so bad that their craving for it, it becomes a-, a craving it is to say that it's something along the lines of self indulgence That is to put in the place where God belongs. Made in an idol. They're worshiping it. In other words, they're showing it the attention that only God deserves. They're putting it as first place. First place is only for God. And so this is a reminder, Paul tells us, to, to put it to death. Because... We see that Paul adds at the end of the phrase, which is idolatry. And this has to do with strong affections. The kind of desiring goes deep when somebody uh, wants something so bad that they're committing sin, the sin of covetousness, by coveting it to the point of greed. This is the kind of thing that Paul commands that Christians ought to put to death. This is exactly what the person has done. They've replaced the creator with the created when they have put something or someone as first place. And this really is an evil thing. For the Lord will not share his glory with anyone. Now, when we say put these things to death, we do not mean that we're to literally destroy our bodies. We know that it's not the outside of the person that corrupts the body. It's the inward man. Is that right? It's the inward man. Jesus says that it's not, it's not what's outside of you that corrupts you. It's what's It's what comes out of you, what flows from your heart. That's what makes the man, the woman corrupt. It's what's in us. Nothing that we do outside of ourselves changes what's deep in our hearts. A story was told by someone about a kid that was told to sit down by his mother And she kept telling him, sit down. And he finally, finally sat down. And he goes on to say that he said to himself, I might be sitting down right now, but I'm standing up in my head. And those are the kinds of things we do. In disobedience to God. In dishonoring him. This is our natural inclination. We want to disobey God. And that's why we must be born again. That's why we are able to live out this life for the glory of God, despite the old man that is still amongst us. So dismembering ourselves or destroying our flesh does not change what's deep, deep down in our hearts. That's a spiritual matter, and only God and the gospel of Christ can help with that. We need a kind of surgery that is spiritual, done only by the true and living God. And so you can't, you can't pick this up at writing, right age. One has to be born again. Since we have been born again, we are the children of God and have the spirit of Christ in us. We're commanded to put sin to death. In reference to the danger of sin and how we cannot play with it or allow it to linger, listen to how George Swinock describes how we need to think about sin in our own lives. He states, and I quote, The ship that leaks is more easily emptied at the beginning." Then afterwards, the bird is easily killed in the egg, but when once hatched and fledged, we may kill it when we can catch it. A frequent reckoning with ourselves will pluck sin up before it is rooted in the soul. Unquote. In other words, you had better deal with sin before it deals with you. Next, in verses 6 and 7, Paul states, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. In other words, God is coming to judge the whole earth because of The world's sin. And we participated in that because we weren't always saved. We must die to wanting more and more. We must die to materialism. The life we once lived was a life of sin. Paul adds that. Since we have died to those things and have been buried and raised together with Christ by the power of God, having all that we need to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we are to put those things to death. Not to allow it to linger. That leads me to our next point. Take the initiative. When we're dealing with sin, we need to take the initiative. We need to put them away now. Do it now. Don't wait. Put it away now. Look at the text once again. In verse 8, the text tells us what we ought to do right now. Look at what it says, but What's the next word? Now. You must. You must. Put them all away. Which, 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 what is it? It's anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. To say it another way, this is serious. Sin is not the kind of thing we're to... Um, sin is not the kind of thing that we allow to continue in our lives but it's, it's the thing we must put off we know that we are weak sinners we ought to not continue in sin Paul tells us why because it provokes God he hates sin and so should we now someone might be bothered because I'm talking about sin. But if you don't hate it, that's a problem. If you feel comfortable, if you don't want to be talked to about sin, that's a problem. Because we ought to take upon that which God has given us, the new nature. We are the risen ones. We ought to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And so it's a reminder to us. Um, it's a reminder to us so that we might pluck out those things that might be in us that has a little growth in it. and It continues to grow and grow and eventually is going to be a problem. And so it's serious. Sin is is something we must really be mindful of. And so... Uh, We must get rid of everything that is contrary to the will of God. We're to do it now. So we got work to do. Um, Even Paul, the apostle, dealt with these kinds of things, right? The apostle, the one who was sent by God. The apostle who was a part of the foundation of building the church of Christ, that apostle, the one who participated in miracles, that apostle, he would say, he would say, that which I would or uh, want to do, I do not do. But the very thing that I don't want to do, that is the very thing that I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? Right? So we have to recognize that the struggle is real and we have to be looking for things that might be growing in us that is not of God. And so um, we want to make sure that um, we're having all that we need to live out that which is pleasing to God. And so in in doing so. In getting rid of that which is contrary to the will of God, we must put away anger. I don't know who you are, right? but God is speaking to the struggle. I don't know everything about everybody. The scriptures is reminding us of what we ought not to do. right? So it says put away anger. In other words, no more outbursts, no more growling because you didn't get your way. Right? These are the kind of things we want to practice. No more having fits of rage. In other words, watch it. Don't be quick-tempered or easily angered, and don't let it get the best of you. we are able to see the evidences of this when those who went out to Planned Parenthood and who was uh, being shouted at with bull horns and disrespected and all kinds of music that was dishonoring to God, but yet to hold your position as strong in Christ. That's growth. That's identifying with Christ, right? These are the kinds of things we want to see out of us, coming out of us. And so um, what a great reminder as we know Scripture and grow in the knowledge of God and then we're able to test ourselves to see if we're measuring up. And so next on Paul's list of things to put to death is don't store up malice in your heart. Uh, We must remove the ill will that is within us, remove the bad motives. And I I don't know about you, but sometimes those things will rise up in me and I have to kick him down. Right. Uh, There are times when we want to defend ourselves. Right? But but God has called us to a higher standard of love. Right? And you can't do that in your natural ability. You need power from heaven to be able to do those kinds of things because the flesh wants to get some. The flesh will say, I wish you would. Right? It's only Christ. That helps us to walk away. Right? It's only Christ that helps us to stand strong and not give in. And so that's what we're called to. We're called to live in a way that honors God. Remove bad motives, bad intent that we're thinking about, not allowing it to linger. Then he helps us how. We ought to use our mouths. Paul helps us. A mouth that slanders someone else shows what's in our hearts. Slander has to do with speaking abusive words that in a way that is false and, false and spoken in a way that would damage a person's reputation. It's speaking with the highest disrespect about the person. Paul is saying that that ought not to be named among us. Then Paul adds to this one by stating that our language ought not to be lewd or obscene. Just to say it another way, uh, we don't have to have a potty mouth. We don't have to be a foul mouth person. And, And And we have to really think about this because some people still want to do it, even though Scripture says, don't do it. And you know what they say? Well, you know, Peter, he he cussed, you know, and things of that nature. But guess what? Peter ain't the standard. Christ is. Christ is the standard. And we can't make the created things the standard for the way we live our lives. And so he says, don't do it. In other words, kill those things that, that God hates. God hates that. Therefore, we ought not to participate in those kinds of things. He's saying, just kill it. Listen to how Richard Baxter speaks about sin. And this is kind of a long quote, but I think it would encourage you. And I quote, use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderers and the murderer of the world. Use it, therefore, as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. And then, though it kill your bodies, It shall not be able to kill your souls. Though it bring you to the grave as it did your head, it shall not be able to keep you there. If the thoughts of death and the grave and rottenness are not pleasant to you, do not let the thoughts of sin be pleasant listen to every temptation to sin as you would listen to a temptation to self-murder and as you would do if the devil brought you a knife and tempted you to cut your throat with it, so do when he offers you the bait of sin, unquote. In other words, take the initiative. Put away everything contrary to the will of God. Here's another one for you by Richard as well. The longer you delay, the more you sin. The more your sin gets strength and rooting. If you cannot bend a twig, how will you be able to bend it when it is a tree? If you cannot pluck up a tender plant, are you likely to pluck up a sturdy oak? Unquote. So what happened with sins. It starts out as a twig, and then it grows. Scripture commands us get rid of the root of bitterness, so that it might not grow. Right. So begin by taking the initiative. He tells us, don't put it off. And if need, if you need, if we need to, get some help. Get some help. Don't go at it alone. Why? Because we're family. We're family. We need each other. If we're unsure, ask questions and keep asking questions until you get some answers. My next point, I believe, tells us what we ought to do next after we have put these things to death. Verse 9 tells us, Put off the old self and sin. In verse 9 it says, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. In other words, we must put off the old self and sin entirely. Paul commands the people and us not to lie to one another. This speaks to how we're to communicate to one another. Speak the truth. It's, if there's a problem, pull the person aside and begin the conversation. Let's work it out. But don't lie by saying everything is good when you know deep, deep down in yourself it's not. Right? We shouldn't do that. Speak the truth in love. That's how we do it. If we don't understand, if we need more information, we need clarity, speak the truth in love. That's the standard for us. So we shouldn't shouldn't do that. We should speak the truth in love and as the scripture says, be at peace with all men as you're able to. Instead, some people will go behind someone's back to talk about them, but they won't tell the person to their face the concerns they have. And instead, they use abusive talk to destroy the person's reputation. Scripture is is reminding us not to do these kinds of things because it brings disunity within the church. That's not loving your neighbor. Right, we, we want to go about with clear understanding. We want to be able to be in unity with one another. And so um, this would in fact is, is lying if we continue to not, in other words, be real um, it is sin against God, against a person, against the church. It's a sin against love. Isn't that why he struck down Ananias and Sapphira in the church? God made it clear in the first church that he wanted truth to reign. He's not. Matter of fact, judgment begins at the house of God. Right. And so it's a reminder to us, to be who we are in Christ. God made it clear that he wanted truth to reign among the body. Listen to Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do you think of each other like that? That I'm a part of you, and you're a part of me. Therefore, I can't treat you any kind of way because you belong to the Lord. And I must love you despite what I feel, despite what I've heard and know. A brother and sister in Christ, we are commanded that the world should know us by the love we have for one another. That's covenant. That's commitment. That's when it's hard. When you don't want to, you do it anyway because it honors God. That's what we're called to this high standard. It's easy to talk about somebody else. That's easy. You, we naturally want to do that. But to hold our tongue and to say, you know what? I'm going to love you anyhow. And you can't do nothing about it. That's a high calling. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to be able to be his disciples, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. He's the example. That's what we want to do. And so we must remember who we are in Christ and put to death sin and evil practices of our former way of life because that's not who we are. We are the risen ones. You must live like it. In many cases, the reason why we are struggling because we don't know who we are in Christ and the access we have. The walls of hostility have been torn down. We have free access to God and there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Live in it. Live in it. That's who we are. And that leads me to my final point, and then I'm going to close. Remember, point number four, remember your identity, put on Christ. Verses 10 and 11 says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Here. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so we must put off our old selves and its sin and put on our new selves in Christ. Why? Because according to verse 10, we are being renewed daily in knowledge after the image of our creator. Every day we are being made more and more into the image of Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. See, we have to put that in our minds because we'll begin going on about our lives and living our lives on the basis of how we feel, and that's not us. We have to go to the book and allow the word of God to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. We have to continue in him. We have to run through the tape. Finish well. And so keep pressing on, my dear sister and brother, no matter how Things look, God is shaping us into the image of his son, and he's doing it in particular for you, he's doing it individually for you and us collectively. God knows exactly what we need. So when we put to death the old self and put on the new self, we are increasing more and more and being transformed into the image of our creator. According to verse 11, doing this allows us to really be free. Living other way, we're in bondage to sin. But living this way allows us to really be free. There's true liberty in knowing Christ, living according to his word. So this allows us to operate in our new selves instead of our old man. Kent Hughes just states it like this. If we make a practice, and I quote, if we make a practice of putting to death our sensuality and covetousness, Laying aside evil attitudes and malignant speech, we will fully experience this astounding removal of barriers in human relationships. The new self lived out brings the destruction, watch, of racial barriers, religious barriers, cultural barriers, and social barriers. Slave or free, it's the gospel that unites us all. And so John John Owen, he puts his word in and he states, The vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. No one can do this by themselves. We need the Spirit of God at work in us. And so John Owen continues in this way. He says, It is the Spirit alone that can mortify sin. He is promised to do it, and all other means without him are empty and vain. How shall he then mortify sin that has not the Spirit? A man... May easier see without eyes, speak without a tongue, than, true, than truly mortify one sin without the spirit." Unquote. Maybe there's someone here today you've been trying and trying to get right with God. You must understand you can't do this naturally. You come to know God through faith by believing in what he has done, the plan that he has put forward. So that means we humble ourselves and we come to faith in believing what Christ has done for us in that when he came, he died for sin. You must believe that he died for your sin. He was buried and he rose again from the grave. That's the good news because if we try to make it on our own, all we have to do is fall one time. And that's ground for disqualification. But by coming through Christ and knowing him through faith, the work is done. He said it is finished. And if you believe in him, his death, burial and resurrection, you'll be saved on the basis of who you believe and who you make your Lord. If you believe him, you shall be set free from the bondage of sin. Those whom the son sets free shall be free indeed. And so that means your efforts Unless it meets perfection, you fall short. Th- this ain't enough. I almost. Right? Th- this ain't enough. Christ is the standard. The standard is perfection. And he says we can get in on the basis of what he have done for us. And we can be saved because of his finished works on the cross. The question now to you is, is do you believe? Christ is the dividing line between heaven and hell. Everyone is going to step to one side of the other. There is no middle ground. Christ says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way. No means no in every language. No matter which one you lose, there's no way to the Father, except through him. And so, I hope you would consider that. Father God, we thank you for your word, your word for your people. We pray that today would be the day of salvation for all who have heard. May it be good news. Help us, Lord, to apply the principles that we've learned today for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.